0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Well, good morning. All right we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin, I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and I want to welcome you again to this community today. I'd love to meet you after service, so I hang out out by guest central in the lobby, and if you're a guest with us, I'd love to have you come on back and say hello, introduce yourself. I'd love to hear what brought you to New Life this morning. I'd love for you to grab that blank sheet of notes, we're going to use that in just a second, and while you grab that, I want to confess something to you that if you know me even a little bit, you know this to be true but for my sake, it's good to say every year or so, which is simply this. There's a lot that I don't know. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. I appreciate that. There's a lot that I don't know, and, and here's the weird paradox. In my early 20s, I thought that I knew a lot, but the more I learn, the more I realize, the less I know. I remember being 25 and going to a pastor's conference. I was a young pastor who had had some success early in ministry, leading a college ministry. We grew from about 30 or 40 people to about 250 people. So being in my early 20s, I thought, i yeah, know, I'm, I'm kind of hot stuff. This is a big deal. And, and I went to this pastor's gathering, and a very successful pastor from Hawaii, by all, all accounts, He got up and he said to us, he said, listen, you are communicators. You stand on stage in front of some of you, 50 people, some of you, hundreds of people, some of you, thousands of people. And they come in each week and they pay attention to you for anywhere from, you know, five minutes to 35 minutes, depending on how good you are and how awake they are, which is why we serve coffee here at church. And he said to us this, he said, but please, please remember that just because people are listening to you does not mean that you have all the answers. He said, I've learned in ministry, the best I can ever say is I'm probably right, but I might be wrong. And here's what I thought to myself in that moment. Oh, that poor guy. I would feel so bad to be in his church. Honestly, this is what I thought. Because I'm definitely right. And if you don't agree with me, you're probably wrong. But I've learned over the course of my life, there's a lot that I don't know. And I want you to grab that note sheet. And and somewhere, just in the top part of that blank note sheet, I want you to just draw a circle for me. Go ahead, I can see you. Go ahead, just draw a circle for me. I'm not going to make you turn it in or show it to anybody. Just go ahead, humor me. Uh, And imagine that that circle represents all human knowledge and understanding. It represents all of how people think and how the world works, that that circle represents every single bit of how human beings interact with ourselves, with the divine, and with each other. Now, I want you to go ahead and pretend that's a pie, and just shade however much of that, of all human understanding, you currently possess you're not going to show it to me. You don't have to show it to your spouse. Just shade how much of all human understanding you currently possess. And while you do, I'd love to get this TV up front working uh, for me. Um, have you done it? Okay, hold that for a second. I know it's, some of you, it's like, well, I possess a lot of human understanding. Take your time. Be generous with yourself. Maybe you possess 50% of all human understanding. Go ahead, shade it in half. That's fine. That's fine. So we're in this series called Everybody Always, asking a question, what does it look like to love everybody always? And really, this is a continuation of a series that we launched in the beginning of this year called For NorCal, because we believe that we are a gathering in a community that is, should be known as being for Northern California, for the cities that we love deeply, there are 112,000 people in what we call our immediate engagement community from Roner Park down to Petaluma, and it expands if you go into Sonoma and Novato and San Rafael. And we asked some big questions. What would it look like for our communities, these cities that we love, to say, you know what, I don't know if I always agree with Christians, but I can tell that they deeply love me, that they are for me, that they would give themselves for my sake. And in this series, we're saying, okay, what would it look like to be for NorCal in the way that we love people? Because Jesus, right when he got towards the end of his time here on earth, he looked at his 12, his 12 guys that were with him, and he said to them, you know what, you guys, I recognize that you're going to forget a lot of what I said. So if you forget everything else, and I mean everything else, I want you to remember this one thing. If you get scared, if you disagree with each other, with other people, if if fighting starts to happen, remember one thing. Love one another. As I have loved you, I want you to love each other. I love what our worship team, that song they sang, Love Has a Name, they did a a great job guiding us today. I love our worship team, so creative and so selfless. That's one of the great gifts of these musicians at our church. But they said, love has a name, and that name is Jesus. And I don't know if you agree with this, but I believe that Jesus is the picture of perfect love. And Jesus would go about his life and he would say things like listen guys you could sum up every law every every amount of justice every every guideline every rule you could sum it all up if you simply learned how to experience the love of God and love God and then love your neighbor as yourself but love is such this weird word isn't it it's so nebulous in the 21st century like i love my wife i love my dog I have two, I love one, I love my other dog, I, I love my kids, I love super burritos, you, oh, I love super burritos, but I don't love my dog the way I love super burritos, and I don't love my kids the way I love my wife, that'd be weird, I, it's, it's, get used to me, you have to love me, it's a rule. And so we're spending eight weeks trying to get some laser focus on love. And so I asked us to do some experimenting throughout the summer. I was going to call it homework, but no one wants homework in the summer. So the first week, our big experiment was this. What if you just went about each morning and you woke up and you asked this question, what does love require of me today? You, if you're married, you look at your spouse and say, what does love require of me today? If you have kids, you look at your kids. If you have housemates, you look at your housemates, your coworkers, your boss, your employees, and simply ask the big question, what does love require of me today? And then last week, Pastor Ron laid out this beautiful principle and idea that when Jesus says we should love our neighbors as ourselves, it implies that we actually love ourselves. And so he gave us some tips and some tools not to have selfish love, but to explore the concept of self-love because we live in a community, in a society that swings from selfish love to self-loathing and back and forth. But Jesus invites us to love others the way we love ourselves, and we cannot actually give what we do not experience. And today, coming back to our circle, and our circle is going to be up on the screen, and you've got yours on your paper. Uh, I love 92 and 8%. Those are my favorite numbers. So let's assume this is all human understanding, and you are highly, highly evolved. And you, you have 8% of all human understanding. The question for this morning is this. What does it look like? What does it look like to love someone when? We don't fully understand why they're making the choices they do because if you and I have 8% of all human understanding, that means there's 92% of human understanding that we don't understand. That, That means that there are going to be a lot of things that look odd to us. Why would they do that? Why would they choose that? Why would they vote that way? Why would Neymar take a fall right there outside the box? We don't understand it. So what does it look like to love someone when I don't understand, or maybe they fall on the 8%, or when I don't agree with their opinions politically, with their family, with their faith? I don't agree with their words, the things they say on social media, in person, to me or about me, or their actions. What does it mean to be for NorCal? in a world where you and I will have a lot of time when we either do not understand or do not agree with the people around us. I'm not talking about outside of the church. I'm talking about the people sitting next to you. I'm talking about the person you share a bed with. I'm talking about your neighbor. I'm talking about your boss. How can we love And to gain some understanding into this, I need to walk us back into a time in our world's history that for many of us modern western thinkers is very foreign. So if you want to, you don't have to, but if you want to and you won't fall asleep, I would invite you, close your eyes as I walk us back into the dusty, dirty road of first century Athens, Greece. And imagine yourself walking down a road. And the smells, there's so many smells, but one of the dominant smells that you, that you experience as you walk down this road is, is cooking meat that's burning over an open fire. And this meat has been sacrificed to various idols. And you hear the sounds of animals mixed with people shouting in the marketplace and haggling over various products. And you look around and you see statues. Some people would say probably 3,000 statues of various gods and goddesses. They were what we would call idols, but to these people they were pictures of the god that they worshipped. Mixed in with these statues of gods and goddesses, maybe 3,000 of them, were all sorts of other statues. Statues of famous warriors, statues of famous thinkers and philosophers, and then you look at this gathering, and there's this group of religious and philosophical thinkers called the Areopagus, and they're meeting together. And in that group of people, you can, you can open your eyes, there are, there are two main philosophical groups. There are the Epicureans, uh, and they believed that basically life was all about pleasure. And by pleasure, they just meant the absence of pain. If they had a country song, their song would be, it's five o'clock somewhere. But then battling with these Epicureans were these Stoic philosophers, and they believed that life was about virtue and self-discipline, and they rejected the idea of pleasure. And they said life is difficult, and it's hard, and it's tough. And so they're in this gathering of people having religious conversations and philosophical, because the two weren't divided. They, They all fit together. Idols everywhere, meat cooking, the sounds of animals and people shouting, dust and dirt flying up. And right into this walks this Jewish Jesus follower named Paul. And Paul started out not understanding or agreeing with the way of Jesus, and therefore hating the way of Jesus. Because isn't it true that oftentimes when we don't understand or agree with something, we are afraid of it? And man, it's such an easy jump from fear to hatred. So Paul, Paul didn't understand this Jesus movement. What he realized is people were walking away from his understanding of faith towards this Jesus movement. He was afraid for the Jewish people, so he hated the object of their affection, Jesus. And you and I, if we're not careful, we experience that all the time, which is why over 365 times in the Bible, God gives us the invitation, you do not need to be afraid. You do not need to be afraid. Don't be afraid, because fear and love are mutually exclusive. They cannot hold the same space at the same time. In fact, we're told later on, after Jesus lived and died and rose again, that Jesus is the personification of perfect love, and perfect love casts out fear so that we can actually press into people and not pull away from them. And Paul's walking on this road to Damascus one day, and he encounters the risen Jesus, who had been crucified, laid in a grave, and rose three days later. He was one of over 500 people who saw Jesus alive after he was crucified, and it changed everything. He had a complete 180, and instead of hurting Christians, destroying that which he did not understand and which he was afraid of, he began to build these movements of Jesus' followers all over the ancient world. And one day he's traveling into Athens, Greece, to meet a group of Jesus followers, and we have part of his biography in this ancient letter called Acts. And here's the story that we pick up in Acts chapter 17. It says, while Paul was waiting for these folks in Athens, he was greatly distressed. And that word distressed in the original language means he was afraid, he was angry, he was concerned. What was he distressed about? He was distressed because he saw a a city full of idols, 3,000 idols to various gods, and goddesses. And he walks into a city where he does not understand or agree with the religious expression of those people. And he has two choices here. He can choose the path that he'd taken up to this point, which is, I'm going to fear and hate that which I do not understand or agree with. Or he can take a different path. And then he comes up against our friends, the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, and they begin to debate back and forth because they don't actually agree with Paul either. They began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating for foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus, and, and this is really interesting, and the resurrection, and resurrection was the name of one of the goddesses in Athens, So they didn't understand what was going on. He seems to be talking about this guy, Jesus, who we've heard bits and pieces about and the goddess uh, resurrection. But how do Jesus and resurrection fit together? And they don't understand him and they don't agree with him. So they call him a babbler. And it's so interesting. This this word babbler, it, it conjured up a picture in the ancient world. It was like a word picture that we don't understand, but they totally would of a bird pecking at the ground, trying to get seed, but never getting enough for himself. It's like someone who's, who's getting bits and pieces of information, but never has all the information, but goes about trying to pretend like they do. It's the idea of someone who's both ignorant and arrogant all at the same time. The best modern translation would be, Paul's a bird brain. He's a bird brain. He's scattered. He's everywhere. He has no idea what he's talking about. Jesus and the resurrection, that doesn't make any sense. And so they criticize him. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a time where you've come up against someone who you did not agree with or understand, and you thought, that burr brain? The answer is no. You probably haven't. Because it's not 1960. But Let me ask you this question. Have you ever run into someone who you disagreed with or did not understand and thought, that idiot? They're an idiot. What an idiot. Have you ever hopped on Facebook Watched a sporting event, and someone did something you didn't agree with, and the thought that that ran through your head was, What? What an idiot. And you thought, You know what? I need everyone to know that opinion right now. It's natural to criticize that with which we do not understand or agree. It's natural, that's our natural tendency. I don't agree with you. I possess all human knowledge and wisdom. Therefore, you are an idiot. (laughs) The problem is, even though it's natural, it's incompatible with love. We can love someone and disagree with them. We have to. We have to learn how to love people and disagree with them. But we cannot love someone and criticize them at the same time. We cannot be in the process of criticizing and in the process of loving At the same time, the two are mutually exclusive. They cannot hold the same space in our lives. I worked with someone once, and every time they didn't agree with someone or understand something, they would just say, they're an idiot. That's stupid. That's an idiot. And I had this thought one day after working with this person for a while. This person doesn't agree with everything I say. I wonder if they're walking around saying about me, he's an idiot. That's stupid. That's dumb. And it freaked me right out. Because love and criticism cannot hold the same space. And the Epicureans and the Stoics choose to criticize that which they do not understand or agree with. And Paul chooses a different path. And it's less natural, but it might just be the thing that saves your marriage. It's less natural, but it might be the thing that saves that key friendship— it's less natural, but it might be the thing that helps you from getting unfriended all the time and you can't figure out why your friend count keeps going down on Facebook. It's unnatural, but it might be the thing that actually makes us for NorCal. Here's what Paul does. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Paul stood up at this meeting of the Areopagus, this gathering of philosophical and religious leaders, and he said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Stay there for a second. In every way you are very religious. Is Paul just blowing smoke at them? Because when I first read that, I thought this is just a precursor to him slamming them. You're very religious, but. That's like when someone says to you, hey, no offense, but I think you're ugly. Like, what? (laughs) Uh... The only reason you preface something with no offense is because you're about to say something very offensive. Anytime someone says to me, no offense, before they say anything else, I'll just say, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's no need to finish that sentence because you're only going to offend me. That is what you're about to do. So just, that's not what he's doing here. The Athenians were very religious Good grief. You might have one Bible in your house. They had 3,000 idols in their city. That's very religious. They were very, very religious. The problem was, in Paul's opinion and in mine, and you you can decide where you fall on this, they were climbing up the wrong religious ladders. And here's the problem with climbing up the wrong ladder. You can get to the top, and then you realize, I'm on the wrong ladder. I've climbed to the wrong spot. I'm at the wrong religious point you're very religious. Here's how I know. I walked around your city, and I looked carefully. In the original language, this phrase, looked carefully, is packed. It means I was attentive. I was curious. I asked questions. I walked around your city, and I I genuinely wanted to understand is what it means yeah, I had my opinions, I had my thoughts, I had my strongly held beliefs, and I wanted to understand where you were coming from. And so I looked carefully at the objects of your worship, and I even found, he says, an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. And so you are ignorant, and before you get too excited, that word in the original context just means you don't know. You have an unknown God, which means you don't know. You don't know the very thing that you want to worship. He's not putting him down. He's just saying we can all agree that unknown means not known. Now, what if Paul had responded to them the way that they responded to him? You think I'm a bird brain? You guys are stinking idiots. You say you're religious, but you have an altar to a God. You don't even know who that God is, and you don't seem all that curious to find out. You look like you're just trying to hedge your bets, idiots. But he doesn't say that. He says, I can see that you genuinely are curious. And while we might disagree on the ladders we're climbing up, we are both climbing up ladders trying to find our way to God. He finishes... By saying this and this unknown god is the one that i'm going to proclaim to you i walked around i asked questions i didn't build my convictions without engaging with you i was i was curious and not critical and because of that I feel like we've built some rapport. Because uh, I've taken the time to learn what you actually think and why you think that, would you allow me the freedom to share with you my understanding, my experience? See, when we're faced with someone whom we don't agree, or with whom we don't understand, or t- with whom we don't agree or, t- or understand, we can choose, we can choose to criticize. And here's what it'll do. It'll build up walls, it'll make bunkers, and it'll make enemies. Or we can choose curiosity. Curiosity will build bridges and open the door for conversations. See, curiosity asks questions. I don't think I have a lot of enemies. I could be naive. Again, I don't know very much. But I don't lay my head down at night thinking I have a lot of people out to get me. But last year at my kid's school, I found out that I had an enemy. It was someone who I'd never had a conversation with, did not know. And they came up to me and they said to me, I do not like you. I do not like your personality. I do not like your job. And they said it in front of a lot of people. And they said it loudly. And I was vibrating. Like it took everything in me not to peacock right there. Just whoop, get big, you know? And dress that person down and be like, you don't know who you're messing with? I'm monologue for a living. I am going to knock you down. (laughs) But one of the things that I'm learning to be true is what this guy named James, the half-brother of Jesus, which, by the way, if you don't believe in Jesus, think about this. James didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God until after he saw Jesus die and rise again. What would it take for you to believe that your brother was God? James says this. He says, every one of you will have a better life if you are quick to listen. This is always my trick. Slow to speak, shut your trap, and slow to anger. So this guy just gives it to me. He just lays into me in front of a whole group of my kids' parents. And I'm vibrating. And I so badly wanted to call him an idiot because it was idiotic what he was doing. And I went home, and for two weeks, just vibrating? Am I the only one who's just like, oh, uh, having conversations in my head, thinking I could totally take that guy with my friends? Like, I could take that guy. I got friends. I got a whole church, you know? I... But I, I started to, to pray for him. Like, God, him. God, him. That was about the best I could do. God, him. Because we're supposed to pray for our enemies, and I realized I had an enemy, but I didn't like him. Oh my like, God, help me to not hate him, help me to not hate him, help me to not give him dirty looks every time I drive by. He clearly doesn't like me. Would you do something? Would you do something? And somewhere in that next couple weeks, I traded criticism for curiosity, and I began to ask questions to myself. Now, he has never given me the chance to ask these questions to him, but even asking them to myself changed my perspective. I, I asked, I wonder what happened in his life that made him so seriously dislike someone like me, because he doesn't actually know me, but he dislikes someone like me? Was he abused spiritually as a kid? Maybe. Was Is it my, I'm a pastor, and he's got some serious pain. Was he picked on in high school by a guy who looked like me or had my personality? Like, what? What is it? I don't know. It helped me to get curious, though, so that now I can see him a year later and say hi. Not, not like, hi, you know? <laughs> not like, hi, but like, (laughs) hi, good to see you. That's, That's as far as we've gotten so far. Curiosity asks questions. Questions create empathy. Empathy is that sweet spot in life where we begin to realize, boy, if I was raised at that same time, if I was that same gender, if I had that same socioeconomic background, if I had that same ethnic background, if I went to church where they did or didn't go to church where they did. If I was raised where they were raised with the parents they had, I could see myself doing what they're doing. That's empathy. Empathy moves us into proximity. this This is the miracle of Jesus. Jesus, who never sinned, never had a thought, a word, or an action that was damaging to himself, to others, or to God. Never. Who who literally, in that sense, has nothing in common with us in our brokenness. He chose proximity to us because he could have empathy with us. We're told in John chapter 1 that, that Jesus left heaven and he set up his tent in our backyard. He came to be with us. Empathy leads to proximity, and empathy is the gateway to actual love. Because we cannot actually love people while at the same time criticizing them. It is impossible. Love does not mean, well, you have your way, I have my way, always, all will pass, lead to Rome. No. Love simply means that when we disagree, I don't write you off. I try to ask some questions. I get curious. Paul says, I walked around because I did not agree with your objects of worship. I walked around. And I looked intently. I tried to understand. And it was a game changer for him because instead of building walls, he built a bridge. Friends, we live in a world that is fractured right now. We live in a country that has never experienced more wall building. Could you imagine if this gathering not not every church gathering. This gathering. If we chose to say, you know what? We're kicking the walls down. They aren't doing us any good. We're going to stop calling people idiots. We're going to start asking questions. We're going to start trying to move toward the mess instead of pulling away from the mess. Could you imagine what that would speak to our community to being for Norcal? This week would you experiment? Find the person, and most of us have one. Find the person who, when you hear their name, see their post, watch that news station or just flip past it. When you watch the World Cup and that player who you don't like is on because he always takes a fall. <laughs> this week, would you experiment with choosing curiosity over criticism and see if it doesn't lead you a little closer to love? And if you're here this morning and you've, you've never experienced the love of God through Jesus, he is the picture of love. Our worship team did a great job communicating this through song and through word. I hope that I've tried to bring a little bit of this together, that God sat on his throne in heaven and looked at our mess and it would have been so easy to point the finger and criticize if anyone had 100% of wisdom and knowledge and insight. It was God. But he chose to leave criticism over there. And this beautiful thing happened. We're told that he came to be with us, to show us love, to show us what it looks like to have a relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, That Jesus came to show us what it looks like to live in right relationship with each other, to serve, to forgive, to heal, to disagree. And then that Jesus did something that just, it's mind-blowing. He saw our sin issue, which had us stuck. And he said, not only am I going to pay the penalty for their sin, which is death and separation from God. I'm going to pay the penalty by giving my life on a cross because sin leads to death. Emotional death, relational death, physical death, and spiritual death. So I'm going to give my life to pay the penalty for that death. But then because I'm God, I'm actually going to break the power of that sin that leads to death by rising again so that the people, the object of my love, could experience freedom and fullness of life in relationship with me. If you're here today and you've never experienced freedom and fullness of life in a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to give you a chance to have a conversation with God right now where you would simply say to him, that sounds pretty good. I I would like that. I'm tired of doing this life on my own. I'd like to walk through this life with you. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to have it all figured out to start the journey. In fact, none of Jesus' followers had it all figured out. It wasn't until after he rose and died, he died and and rose, that they even got a glimpse of what he was talking about. And then even after that, they screwed up a lot of stuff, but they got one thing right, learn how to love like I have loved you. So if you're here today and you're ready to start that journey with God, you can just say to God, I believe that. I believe that you gave your life and that you rose again to pay the penalty for my sin and to break that power that sin has to keep me doing the things I don't want to do. And I want to walk with you under your leadership and under your saving love. Would you be the leader and the savior of my life? And God answers that prayer 100% of the time. And then he begins a journey of partnership with you. If you make that decision, out at Guest Central, we've got these little packets that are called New Believers Quick Start Guides. I'd love for you to grab one of those. It's got a little story of the biographies of Jesus' life in there. It's got some other stuff for you. I'd love for you to grab that on your way out. I'd love to meet you after service and just say hello. And whether you're making a decision to follow Jesus today or you want to experiment with me in finding that idiot and switching criticism for curiosity, I'm going to pray for you because I'm excited about the journey we're on. Would you join me as we pray? Thank you, Jesus, for the example that Paul gives us of a real person who had real disagreements with a whole institutional gathering but chose to live those disagreements out with curiosity in love. Would you help us to be a people who is who are deeply curious about this world, about people, about the way that this life works? Would you help us to fight against our natural tendency of fear of the unknown and criticism of that which we don't understand or agree? And would you help us to move towards curiosity, to build bridges of conversations so that we might be a people who is deeply and fully for NorCal? And friend, if you're here today and you're ready to make that decision to enter into a relationship with Jesus today, to make him the leader and the savior of your life, I'm going to say a prayer that you can repeat after me just to give words to this experience for you. You could just say something like this as you talk to God, and God hears and will respond to you. You could say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me deeply, and that you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin, for the ways that I have hurt myself, that I've hurt others, and that I have pulled myself away from you. And I believe that you rose from the dead to break the power of sin because you want to bring healing in my life. So God, would you heal me from the places where whether it's my own brokenness or the brokenness of others has, has wounded me? Would you, would you bring healing there, Jesus? And would you show me what it looks like to engage with you daily and to walk in partnership with you as I learn to experience your love and then to love my neighbor? as myself. I pray in Jesus name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.